listening to the Confessions of a Clairvoyant Housewife podcast. From marriage to menopause and margaritas, nothing is off the table. This is Cindy Goldenberg. Hi, everyone. This is Cindy Goldenberg. I hope you're all doing well on this 4th of July weekend. So, uh, you all haven't heard from me in a while, and this is the second series of my breast cancer surgery and breast reconstruction special talks. My first one I did was right before I had my bilateral mastectomies, the end of May. And in that, I told you all about what my decision was and how I came about to do this kind of surgery and how I wouldn't have thought of it living in Miami. I had a perfectly fine um, team, an oncologist, and I was on a little medication that blocked any estrogen going to my breast, and I didn't have any side effects. And I did have a wonderful surgeon who caught it very, very early, and I had a small lumpectomy. However, to uh, reiterate what I had told you before in the previous podcast, I had surgery three years prior to the discovery of the breast cancer, and the surgery was for atypical hyperplasia, which is a condition that isn't cancer, but more like a precancer, where the cells inside the breast, like plaque in an artery, become so thick, the walls inside the tissue become so crowded that they are ready to, quote, burst. And when those ducts fill and burst, that's when it becomes a cancer. So I had gone to a breast cancer specialist because I had a history of breast cancer in my family, my mother and grandmother, both the left breast. I was tested for the BRCA gene, but I did not have that gene. But I always had the conversation of, come back, let's look closer, your, your breasts are dense, et cetera, et cetera. And when I did a thermography, which was just an alternative medicine kind of photograph that you look like a weather map where your cool greens and blues and the warm spots of your body show red and orange and yellow like under your chin and under your arms. And basically it's a silhouette, almost like a watercolor. You can't tell if it's male or female. Well, I guess you could because the breast area but it was an alternative medicine kind of thermogram that I did with my bioidentical MD doctor that gave me natural hormones. And on that thermogram, it showed hot spots in my breasts. And she said to go to see a breast specialist. So when I went, I was very timid and Uh, or intimidated, I should say, and a little nervous, which isn't like me because I'm very tall and boisterous and gregarious, but I felt like I don't have cancer. What am I doing here? So I made a joke that this is Miami. Everybody's into alternative medicine. 
I went and got this fun thermogram color scan and there's something in my breasts and they could be just, you know, cysts or whatever. And he said, sure, I understand. And we can do an MRI. And when I had an MRI, I then was told I had 10 masses, six in the left breast and four in the other that weren't cancer, but were very suspicious and on the verge of becoming it. So I had a outpatient surgery where a lot of my breast tissue, especially in the left, was replaced and or not replaced, removed. So I had a concave nipple and areola. The left breast became about half the size of the right. And I had desensitization where I didn't have any feeling in either um, nipple areola area. And the first couple months, I look like eggplants, but the size of cantaloupes, swollen black and blue and purple, because I had so many areas that were cut up. But I healed nicely. And because I was being seen by a breast cancer surgeon, I was then allowed the privilege of getting regular MRIs because nothing ever showed up on the mammogram or ultrasounds. But it was in my follow-up contrast dye MRI that I had three years later with this doctor and the team at Mount Sinai in Miami, they found a tiny little spark of light in the left breast. And like I had told you, I knew intuitively it was cancer. And I heard it like a thought, like a voice that wasn't mine. And it said, this is cancer. It's there. And then it won't be. So it was a very nonchalant, non-emotional feeling. And I thought, I trust. I felt fine. I told the technician, yeah, it's probably cancer. Oh, you don't know that. Could be a cyst and blah, blah, blah. And I went through all the biopsy and everything. And then they gave me the news. And I said, I already know. Let's do it. So when I did go in to talk to my surgeon, I asked him, don't you think it's kind of funny? I'm back here three years later and I had hyperplasia, and you took all these pieces out, do you think maybe I should have a mastectomy? And he's like, no, 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 no. It was so little. You already caught it, and it was the kind that could have sat there years, and it's no big deal, and we can get it, and it's an outpatient, and, you know, you go home, and you take a little radiation, And then you take some medication that blocks the estrogen from going to your breast and you're fine. I said, okay. So I moved here and when I had a follow-up, I chose to see a breast cancer surgeon, not knowing that you just don't pick one out and go see one when you move to a new town because you usually stick to the same one for like five years. Or you go to your primary and you go get referred to an oncologist if you have cancer or a suspicion of. You don't just march into a surgeon's office. But I did because I looked her up and I wanted to be seen by someone equivalent to what I would be doing if I still lived in Miami. And so when I met her and told her the story I just told you and how I kind of made a joke like, gee, I love you, Doc, but don't you think it's kind of funny? I'm here in three years. And I was just 
concentrating on talking about the story. And she interrupted and said, that's a very good question because you do have another breast and you're very, very high risk. And then she explained to me hyperplasia, although it's not cancer at the time, it's indicative when you paint a big picture that with my um, family history, regardless of the BRCA gene, I'm very um, high risk for breast cancer. And then she explained to me, you know, in a couple years, when you hit your five-year mark, you won't be getting MRIs anymore. And that's when the lights went on and I thought, oh my God, I'll be on my own getting regular mammogram screenings that won't really show anything. And I'm very high risk and I'm only going to get older and I can't be 70 years old going through this. And I could tell by her very kind, sweet nature that she was smiling and happy to meet me. And then she became very serious and looked at me with her big blue eyes as if to say, I'm sorry you've been misinformed, but you really are intuitively correct. You should do something about guaranteeing your future. So I was very happy that she talked to me and I was a little overwhelmed. And I came home and had to think about like, wow, you mean I, I go see a plastic surgeon and I go see an oncologist and I go see genetic counseling and what, what, what? So it took me a minute to process, but I made appointments because it took a long time to get in to see all these people. So when I did, I met the plastic surgeon and I found him fascinating and interesting. And he told me all about how they do it. And especially in my case, because nowadays, even with a breast that's had radiation, they can put a skin graft in, which is a cadaver skin um, looks like a piece of white beef jerky and they put it on the bottom part of the breast inside the skin so you get blood supply and you can nurture some fat so it can become you kind of grow a little breast tissue so to speak a softness besides putting the expander in and then getting an implant and blah 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 I just turned into an anatomy student and just thought it was all fascinating how they can do this. And a few years ago, they couldn't. So I was in. I thought, I am so lucky. And then I met the oncologist and he reiterated the same thing and said, ordinarily, I would have agreed with your doctor in Miami. However, looking at your history and also the doctor that you're seeing here in Sarasota, She's brilliant, and anything she says, you're in the best hands, and we would never guide you to do something that wasn't for your highest good. And then I went to the genetic counselor, and my insurance covered not just the test, like BRCA gene is one or two genes. Then there's another one, I think, that does 14. Well, I signed up for the one that did 47 kinds of cancers or probability towards cancer, from colon cancer to pancreatic to blah, 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 all of the above, and it all came back negative. Now, you may ask, yeah, but obviously there's something because your mother and grandmother had it, and yes, that's true, but we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of genes, and there's only a handful they check. So the ones that they can check and that they do know, I was clear of, but obviously, it was just good to do to wipe out any other questions. And I felt confident and strong and healthy 
So I did the surgery and it was one night and it was, you know, like something I said, like I'm looking forward to it. I wasn't afraid. I've had this conversation for years in my mind. And when the day came, I was ready. I got new Ugg slippers. I got some nice PJs. I ordered I ordered a lot of, uh, you know, like soft shirts with buttons because I knew I would be wearing them when I'd go to the doctor instead of pulling things over my head. So I was prepared in my mind. I felt lucky to be here and also that I had my husband and I had my son to help me get through this. And I thought, no problem, let's do it. And the hospital was beautiful and new. And when I got inside, I met all these nurses that came in the room and they go, is there anything you'd like us to know? And I said, well, one time I had a procedure and then my arms were out and then my shoulders hurt. Okay, we'll put your arms down in a certain position. And I said, well, I do have a little sciatic pain. I'm getting treated. Well, we'll put pillows. So when we went in the OR, usually you fall asleep, or me, depending on what I've had done from appendicitis to the uh, breast surgery to anything else, they usually put the little mask on you in the hallway when they're wheeling you into the OR and you feel the room twirl and then you're out. This time, I got to stay awake and chat with everyone and I couldn't get over how three tiny little petite nurses hoisted me up and put me on the operating table. And then they came by and they go, would you like this pad under your hip or this one? And we found one. Would you like this pillow under your lower back or this one? So I felt like I was in the Four Seasons Spa and being catered to. And they lifted my neck with a button and we found a perfect position. We put pillows behind my knees and little pillows under my ankles. And lastly, she goes, where do you want the arm paddles? Would you like them right by your side or would you like them out? So I had all these choices to get comfortable and it made such a huge difference. And so as I closed my eyes and the room swirled, I thought, oh, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky to have this surgeon and this team and to be here. And sure enough, I woke up and it stung a little bit, but they give you good medicine that makes you very warm and fuzzy. And I had wonderful nurses and I didn't have nausea and I had good meals and I had a nurse at night and I looked and I thought, I don't have an IV. I don't have anything. They come by and check blood pressure, but she to go with me to go to use the restroom and we'd talk and giggle and use hand lotion. And I just had a really good time. Felt like a slumber party, actually. And then I came home and the next few days, it started to get real tight and burn inside. And I was told this is normal. And it, what it felt like was an iron bra like something on your rib cage, like you want to just automatically reach down and unhook your bra, but it's hot and it's burning and it's squeezing your ribs. And then you realize it's coming from the inside. And so I had seen and talked to the surgeon and he showed me the expanders and I knew that they placed them on your ribs and there were little tabs that they sewed down onto your rib muscle between the bones. 
but I had drains coming out. I wore a surgical bra and my husband and my son helped drain these drains of like watery fluid and we measured it and it wasn't uncomfortable but I would look at the exit area and I thought there's a little plastic thing and a tube coming out. I don't really want to focus on it, but I didn't touch it. I had a home nurse come and I was fine. I was on antibiotic, but damn, that tight mark was, that tight feeling was really starting to burn and squeeze. I was on muscle relaxants and painkillers and I still am. And then after a few days, it got intense and I took pictures and I had my follow-up about a week later and he explained to me that when I was under, the breast cancer surgeon removed all the tissue and then I read the report and the pathology was clear. I didn't have any cancer, although she did tell me I had suspicious, suspicious, um, formations or masses that were in the in the breast tissue and the good breast and she told me you know if you were just having this um, pathology or, or a biopsy or something showed up we removed those and if you just had what you did have an MRI prior and a mammogram it probably would have turned into cancer within a year so it made me doubly thankful that I had this procedure done. But what I didn't know was how painful this would be. So he told me when you're under, you get all the tissue removed. Then I go in and I insert under the muscle wall, this expander, which looks like a big plastic paper bowl or not paper, but like a plastic rubber flat bowl or flat frisbee and then it's got a piece of metal in the middle like a half dollar coin size because that's where they use a little magnet through your skin to insert the saline to fill the expander which is under your chest wall so when I was asleep they filled it up to 140 cc's so you don't come out of surgery where you're concave and then you have sagging skin like a old balloon, you have a little bit of rumpled tissue on your chest with big seesaw-looking scars. But they, they heal, and they looked good, and, and I knew what to expect, too, with pictures and everything. But all that was numb, and that was not where the pain came from. It came from being very deep inside. So then I got a little fill of 60 cc's, and then a few days later, I died. The pain is unbearable, and it was for weeks. And I'm just saying this because I looked up and I asked people, thank God I met a woman who's a nurse at my dermatologist's office who said, call me anytime, and I do. I call her at least twice, sometimes three times a week. Because I had to hear that, yes, this is like childbirth. This is unbearable. This is your bones breaking. And I kept saying, I feel like there's a tractor crunching my bones and my skin deep down inside. 
and I slept in a recliner. I had six or seven pillows around my head and my back and underarms, ice packs. I slept for a half hour, maybe an hour, and I still don't get more than a couple hours sleep. The pain is something I have never gone through before. I mean, I had a UTI uh, urinary tract infection for the men out there listening. And yes, that's very painful. It goes from, you know, a little hot burning feeling to up inside your urethra where you feel like, you know, a firebomb just went off. And yeah, that's painful. But this was just as if I had no anesthesia and that I was being ground up like something was just grinding my bones. So I endured this. And since it's been five weeks, I've had two more fills and we've done it very slowly, like 30 cc's or 40 cc's. And after my second fill, finally after two or three weeks, the pain from deep inside the bone subsided to external, where it felt more on my chest muscles, where they would be squeezed like I was in a vice. And I knew in my mind I could breathe and I was fine but my body would get panicky and it felt like I couldn't breathe or inhale or move anything in my chest. That subsided after about a week and now I've had my third fill and now I'm just achy and it feels like there's sharp plastic, hard, sharp corners or boxes inside my chest. So the pain has subsided into being uncomfortable, but it never goes away, but I can at least work with it and I can tolerate it. But I will say, if I knew it was as difficult as it was, I don't think I would have done it. Which brings me to why I'm doing this, besides just complaining about my pain and telling you about my experience because I always like to inspire and also be honest and also validate other women or people or your mother or people you know who have endured this breast reconstruction. Now, these concepts that I have now realized is it's very different. The first one is being versus doing. Being now to me, was, you know, being present and being spiritual and as a writer and a teacher, you know, being is moving your body through space and doing things in a mindful way and having a purpose and being conscious of that. But when you are in pain, be it through a surgery or a situation that is chronic, your being is not healthy but you don't have a choice and you are dealing the best you can. So what you think you should be doing or what you've been doing your whole life to be accountable or responsible or a citizen or a mother or a housewife or anything, teacher, you think, wow, you can write something. Nope, I can't move my hand. Nope, I can't get up. Nope, I can't move. I need to sleep. I need to get up. 
I need to drink something. I can't eat too much. I'm going to throw up. If I throw up, I'm going to hurt something. You go from moment to moment. You grab pillows and you take the drugs and you moan and you rock like you do in labor. And so this being versus doing, what I have realized now that I can talk and I've gone through the worst is that accomplishing things like goals and cultivating ideas to being physical, to being able to prepare a meal or even open a salad box and make food for yourself or someone else is being responsible or your physical maintenance of washing your hair. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it matters for hygiene, but what I'm saying is what I've realized is being versus doing My being has now become helpless. I am helpless. I do what I can, when I can, but my life as I knew it is being helpless. So now I must ask for help. I must be waited on. Oh, that sounds so nice to put your feet up. No, it doesn't. My feet and my legs got so swollen. I had edema so badly. I never had it that bad in my life. My son took me to the ER and we were there all night. It was unusually busy till 5 a.m. They checked to make sure there were no clots in my lungs. And they did ultrasound on my legs and they couldn't really figure it out. But I thought, I'm going to explode with water in my legs. Is it just from the surgery? Possibly. I went off medication and things that I thought if they could cause, like gabapentin for your nerve pain, I stopped. I was on the border of pre-diabetes. I stopped any medication that would have any leg swelling. I wore the compression stockings. I ate differently. I drank water and green juice and tea. And I cut out all sugar and carbs and went totally keto and only have an occasional bite to eat. But it took weeks to get this swelling down. And I didn't want my blood pressure to go up. Is it my age? Possibly. But it's common. And so we think, oh, well, you have a surgery and then you get better. Well, part of getting better is other things go wrong. So... You cannot do anything for anyone else. The only thing you can do is to accept being vulnerable and understand that you're helpless and you are vulnerable and that goes into being weak and incapable, which goes even deeper into a surrender and then enduring horrific pain. So that becomes how you define your existence. Or that's how I define mine. And is this heroism? Or am I admired? Or am I pitied? And yeah, people call or want to talk and I can't talk or I can text once in a while. Or I just would say it's unbearable or I can't do this. But I did talk to the friends I had, like I said, that had gone through it. And I finally realized it's up to me 
to decide how I want to be seen or understood or validated. I don't want to be looked at as a martyr, but it's okay to be weak and helpless. I used to look at my mom and she wasn't old, but she had a stroke and she had the mastectomy and she had all these things and she was a delicate, petite woman. And I thought, I'm, I have a job. And then after I had a job, I had a child and it's hard to parent a parent. And now every moment in my mind, I go, forgive me, mom. Forgive me for looking at you any less or thinking that you were a burden. And I tell my son, I'm sorry that I'm a burden. And he reminds me, you're not, mom. You just went through a major surgery and you're doing the best you can. So when we are in these situations, I've always thought, well, I'm the teacher. I'm the inspirer. I know how to tell people because I can see and feel their energy or their angels. And they're always offering this beautiful cup of nurturing, cool liquid called love and self-worth. But when you're in a body and you're in pain and you're limited to just taking a breath and getting through an hour at a time, I realized I have to decide to quit punishing myself or judging myself and understand that this is valid and that I'm okay and that no one is judging me, only myself. And that everyone in truth is looking at me as someone strong and resilient and that they don't know maybe exactly how it feels, but they know it's different and uncomfortable for me. And then the other thing I realized is, what is feminine strength? And the feminine strength is, you know, we're beautiful, and we're also kick-ass, and metaphysically we're spiritual and forgiving, and we're also like, nope, fuck this shit, I'm out. So we can be salty and angry. We can understand our triggers and say, I don't have room for this anymore. And pain will bring that to the front. And when I saw that, I thought, thank God, I really have walked through a lot of inner work and boundaries. And when I say boundaries, doesn't mean don't cross this boundary or I'll kick your ass. The boundary was loving. It was, Cindy, you don't have to feel obligated to talk to someone or to mediate or to nurture or to be available or to witness. And it doesn't have to be that you don't love them or they're not a friend or family. It's because you can't. You have to get through the next few minutes and breathe. You have to get through that chest locking up. You have to get through that sciatic pain. You have to go in the other room and let your family sleep and you have to moan on your own. There's no room for negotiation. And so this feminine strength that I have through the pain is now I look back at my boundaries that I honored myself by creating them in my mind and saying, I'm better 
for knowing what I will tolerate and what I won't, what I can invite in my life and what I won't, and that I'm okay and don't need to defend it because no one is listening. It's a conversation between me and myself. The other part of feminine strength is, yes, we are tender and vulnerable. Yes, we need to be needed, but sometimes we need help. And we are nurturing and loving and motherly, but sometimes like this, we can't be. We have to be on the receiving end. And it doesn't make you weak. It still makes you beautiful. It still makes you vulnerable. It still makes you feminine. And you can have strength in your tears and in your weariness. There were so many times I changed my mind. There were so many times, and I still do, think, what the hell did I get myself into? And I needed support from so many people, including a lot of articles I read, where some women that went through this and got the mastectomy, they were fine. And then when they got expanders and eventual implants, they felt foreign, like something foreign is in their body, or it didn't feel like them, or they couldn't take the pain or the complications. And they said, I'm going to be flat, and I'm still beautiful. And before I did this, I didn't understand that concept. And now I do. I have known of people who have chosen, like my mother, to not have a breast or neither breasts and to be totally flat. And you think, oh my God, that's not a woman. We need breasts. We need sexuality. We need curves. And now that I'm sitting here with these sweet little pillows that go under my armpits and a pillow on my lap and on my chest. So even as I talk, the vibration doesn't send me through the roof. I am honest in understanding, yeah, I'm still pretty. I have big flabby arms underneath my underarms because I was heavy when I had my second child and I breastfed a year and I gained a lot of weight because I had a lot of miscarriages. And so now the skin sags and blows in the wind. But I put on lipstick and I'm still pretty. Even if I don't have makeup on, I feel pretty. I have clothes on that make me feel. And I understand that this feminine strength comes from a feeling. I get my hair cut and even if it doesn't get washed for a week, I look at it and feel pretty. And so the feminine strength doesn't come from what other people view you as. And whether or not I have a breast or not doesn't make me more or less feminine. The femininity and the strength come from my self-acceptance and my realization and gratitude for my own beauty and what I define as beauty. And now that I am undergoing this, I 
again, don't have time or room for people that are unsupportive or if I feel obligated or if I have relationships. When I talk to someone that I want to and when I can, then it's a joy. But otherwise, I don't and it's fine. And I am finding that I am attracting people, even people from the past that I've known that aren't needy. And so when we come together, it's because we want to, but we don't have to. And this has made me conscious of how I've changed my mind and made boundaries. And I am now in this process of forgiving myself for being incapable or dependent or weak, or like I say, a burden to my family. I have a choice to redefine myself and my situation. Instead, I am looking at this, and the third concept is I'm learning about real self-acceptance. Yes, I'm building two breast mounds. I was, I had to ask myself, why am I doing this? And at first, like I told you, and you could hear the enthusiasm, I felt so guided and so privileged to have an alternative MD and a thermogram and get in on just a color chart and then discover it early and be in the MRI club. And my story is, it's fascinating and it's inspiring and I'm a teacher and I'm a leader and I'm a, I'm all those things. Yes, I am. And I've enjoyed that role. But I now sit here and realize that's not all who I am. That's not really who I am. So when I asked myself, why did I make this decision? And it was, like I say, feeling prideful that I could accomplish something because I was guided and that my story, I'm always the example. And I could be the example of what you do when you discover new ways of thinking or that I can bring hope or that I can bring information. So then I realized this is my ego and a part of me like reflection in the mirror. And that's good. And I'm glad because I'm glad these other women are my friends and are inspiration to me. But what I'm really learning to accept is that I am beautiful regardless of my body, regardless of my breasts or not, because to me, my breasts are gone. They served a purpose. They were pretty in the costumes in Las Vegas. I wore beautiful gowns. I had perky young breasts. I was sexy. I wore clothes. I gave birth. I nursed my children. I had a good figure. I had a heavy figure. And I breastfed the world. I nurtured and gave. And it's kind of ironic in a metaphysical way that now that I'm done doing that, yes, I can still be an inspiration to someone or to many of you. And I thank you for admiring that in me. 
but I don't need to breastfeed people anymore. Just myself. And in fact, my breasts are gone and I feel absolutely neutral and nothing about it. Right now, I like I say, I have a little flat pancake and you can only see when I take my little blouse off. But to me, I have a little experiment going on. It's an anatomy project. I am the student again, and I thought, oh, this is so interesting when the doctor explained it. But now that I'm enduring the process of being the one treated, I don't look at it as like a prize. I know I will get there. I know that the expanders will eventually be replaced and I will have implants and they will be on under the muscle. I will have some liposuction with some fat cells right under the skin so it can soften it. And then eventually, if I want a tattoo of a nipple and areola to decorate, I can do that. And I met a woman that didn't choose to do that. And she looked beautiful and proportioned and tall in her clothes. And she didn't look like she was busty. And then when I showed her my incisions and she goes, I remember those days. And she showed me her end result. She was beautiful. And they were perfect breast mounds. And it was cute, like as if we were going into a room sharing lipsticks or something we just bought at the mall, like pulling out of the bag. I got this on sale. I got this on sale. Look what I have. Look what I have. I didn't feel any less because she's already finished. I don't know. I can't really tell you what feeling I have, but I organically feel safe and neutral because having a breast mound in my clothes is not, my femininity is not predicated on having these breast shapes. So as I sit here and I'm only about one third of the way through, I'm still on the recovery and the pain and the medication, but I am learning to accept myself and understand I made this decision at first thinking it's smart and it's practical and it's inspirational, but I have discovered that it's okay to be scared, it's okay to be tired, annoyed, and just change my mind and feel like this isn't what I expected, and it's not what's really important. So what is it that's important? What do I want from all of this? Or who do I want to be? You know, besides the influencer and teacher, you know, I love to talk about metaphysics and intuition and higher meaning and self-empowerment. But now I'm so aware of all I want is that, and to hold this, 
All I want is to be aware of what I got. And it makes me cry. I have a family. I have a beautiful son and a beautiful daughter. All I want to do is cherish those I love. All I want to be is to be surrounded by people that I love, including myself. All I want to know is that I'm healthy and that it's okay to be scared and uncomfortable and tired and in despair at times because of pain. I've realized that we live in a delicate balance. And this balance doesn't mean that there is a arrival date, that you get to this destination and then you don't have pain and then you don't have sciatic and then you don't have problems and then you look real pretty and then you get a new bra or you get a new outfit and then you have a new figure. Yes, I like nice things and yes, I do buy colorful skirts and things and I do like shopping and I do have a minimal but fun wardrobe. I'm not saying that. But what I'm really feeling about myself now is that it's up to me to feel pretty. Even in these stupid things like stretchy freaking underwear. Because I'm in my PJs a lot and I lounge. I cannot stand the elastic band. And so I found some really stretchy, soft, silly pink and gray and purple underwear and it's like a freaking Neiman Marcus outfit or beautiful designer shoes for a year. I'm so happy with that. I find a PJ top with big buttons that I can easily do and I can undo so I can do my dressings and check my my stitches or whatever. So many things. I'm so happy to just be present. Yes, it's still hard. Yes, there's pain. Yes, there's days where I go, well, I brushed my teeth and that was enough. But on the whole, I really have learned that there really is only now. There is no arrival where something steps in and makes you feel better. And having breasts is not the outcome, being aware that you have feminine strength, that you have love in your heart, that you have people around you that you do love. So yes, it's an attitude. I am creating breast mounds and it is a fascinating surgical technique and it is difficult and it is beautiful at the same time, but so are the women who move their bodies and lift their arms and dance and move and do gymnastics and Pilates. Having a foreign object inside your body is not necessary in being whole and complete. Now, I'm not talking about implants or plastic surgery I'd love a chin lift. I'd love an eye lift. Who wouldn't? It's more room for makeup. You know, I mean, it's like getting your hair done. These things I'm all for. Glamour and 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 worth and things that make you feel good. 
But talking about losing your breasts and rebuilding it is something different. You're not accentuating something that's there. You've removed it, and now you're in a different time zone. You're in a different reality, and it's funny or interesting how certain triggers and thoughts and ideas and preconceived notions come up. So I thank you for listening. My journey is still continuing, and I will share with you, and I may change my mind, but so far I made it past the most horrific pain I've ever endured. And now I'm in a new consciousness and a new place and I'm taking it day at a time and I'm so appreciative for all I have and I'm looking forward to being able to stand up straight and move my body and sleep more than just a couple hours at a time and get off my back and lay on my side again. So here's to all of you women who have had to endure this or gone through cancer, uh, my indebted gratitude and respect is with you. I did not know it was like this, but I have such admiration for anyone who has gone through it and had the courage. I thank you and just know this story is to be continued. Thanks again and I'll talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Confessions of a Clairvoyant Housewife podcast with intuitive expert, Cindy Goldenberg. To learn more or stay connected, be sure to visit www.cindygoldenberg.com.